Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. I don't know about you, but to me, I would say for the past few months, it's been very obvious that things have not been business as usual around here. And uh, listen, I'm not sure if you've been able to sense it, if you've been able to discern it, but there has been an obvious stirring in the spiritual atmosphere in our church. And in my opinion, this stirring reaches far beyond a worship set. It reaches far beyond a sermon that's being preached. It even reaches far beyond what we're doing in Cultivate, meaning this, that it reaches far beyond anything else that we can initiate by our own calling, by our own giftings, by our own abilities. In other words, without a doubt, it is God being up to something. And I don't know about you, but that really, really excites me. Amen. So listen, I truly believe in spite of all the chaos and all of the storms that we've been going through over the last year that God is up to something, keyword, he's up to something good, amen? So in fact, it would appear like he is collectively and all at once uh, encouraging us, he's challenging us, he is consecrating us, he's preparing us, and ultimately, keyword, he is trying his best to mature us. Yes, and I believe that that's not only happening here in our local church called The Anchor, but I believe it's also happening in the global church around the world. Once again, that God is up to something, and it's good, that He is stirring something for His people. Amen? Amen. Now, now listen, I can't uh, you know, speak for every church, but when I pray for us, The Anchor, uh, there's a portion of Scripture that keeps coming to mind, and I just simply want to start off with that today, then I'll give you a few practical things, and then we'll kind of start or we'll finish in the similar way that we've started and we'll land this thing. So if you got your Bible today, or if you need to look at the screen, uh, just look at John chapter 5 with me. John chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says this, it says, After this there were a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. It says, having five porches. In verse 3, on those five porches it says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, key part, waiting for the moving of the water. Waiting for the moving of the water. I want to pause here for a moment. Because if you and I realize it or not, the truth is, is this really describes who we are without Jesus' influence in our life. Meaning this, that we may not quote unquote, you know, be physically sick, physically blind, lame and paralyzed. But without a doubt, without the influence of Jesus in our lives, guess what? We are spiritually sick. We lack vision and we are unable to walk in our purpose. And we are consistently being paralyzed by the things of this world like fear, worry, anxiety and so on. Amen. So listen, but in spite of that, I just want to take a moment and and really just a shout out, if you will, and just say that, man, I'm so grateful to God that there are a faithful few among us who have been praying. And like the scripture says, not only have they been praying, but they've been waiting for God to stir and to move the water around here. And I just want you to know that, that listen, uh, I'm so grateful that God is beginning to answer some of those prayers. It might be a small ripple at this moment, but there's no doubt he's doing something. Yes? Now watch this next part. This is key. 
It says, For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool, and he stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in. Can we say whoever? whoever. Come on, it says, Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Or we could simply say it this way, that whoever stepped into what God was doing got a new life. Amen. In other words, when they stepped in, that God somehow gave them purpose to walk in, and He somehow gave them a vision for their life, and somehow He began to break off all those things that kept them bound, they began to experience freedom. Amen? Amen. So listen, it goes on and it says this, and I think that's really where we all want to be. So I want to read that, uh, and I want us to hear the whoever part, but I also want us to hear this next part. It says this in verse 5. It says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity thirty eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. You know, when I read this the other day, I couldn't help but to think, man, how long have some of us been in the spiritual, the mental, and the emotional condition we are currently in? Like, how long? You know, when I begin to examine my own life, and I just, man, I had to confess, man, there's things that I've been carrying long enough, and I need to get rid of them. Amen? Like, it's enough's enough, right? It may, be, may not be 38 years, but it's been enough. And then it goes on and it says this. It says that Jesus said to that guy, do you want to be made well? That's really the question today, isn't it? Like, like we understand, yes, God's stirring, but we also understand there's some things and conditions that we've been carrying. And I think the Lord just maybe wants to ask us, man, do we really want to be well? Like, do you really want to experience the new that he's doing, the new life, right? The new wine, however you want to word it. Or do you want to just settle in and just be, eh, this is the way the life is. I'm just going to settle for this condition I'm in. Now watch this next part, because I think this is telling for some of us. It says, the sick man answered, sir, I have no man. Can somebody say no man? It says, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Now, that may sound a little odd, but I just want to say this, that, that just maybe that's our problem today. That when you and I started this faith journey, we put our trust in Jesus. But since we put our trust in Jesus for our salvation, since then we just have a habit of we keep looking to man, including ourselves, to fix our conditions. Right? And I just want you to know today it doesn't work that way. Right? Like, like Jesus is the only source we have. And so if I can maybe throw it out to you today, because really what I'm saying is you and I have an option, right? God is stirring the waters and we can either do what those first people did. We can jump into the water and we can get a new life. We can hop in what Jesus is doing and we can experience the goodness of what he's trying to do. Or we can be like the man with the 38 year long condition and we can just go, hmm, I'm good. And we will completely miss out on the stirring that God's trying to do. Are y'all with me? So I just think this, here's kind of the main point I want to show, is that there's no doubt that God is doing a new thing. And what I mean by new thing, just so you and I are on the same page, is simply this, is that there, is, uh, there are unknown and there are uncharted places and realities and depths in Him that we have yet to discover individually and corporately as a church. Like what I'm trying to tell you guys is I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for a year or you've been walking with him 60 years. You, you haven't drank it all yet. 
right? That there's more in him available. And I believe he's stirring the water because he's saying there's more available for this church. But the question is, is will we step in? So listen, I want you to know that just like those at the Pool of Bethesda, it's been pretty cool. Jen and I sit back and we've been talking about it, and it's really neat because we realize that there are a number of you that are noticing that God is stirring the water, and you've had the courage to take a risk and to step in. And I want you to know it's been pretty amazing to see the new things that God is doing in your life. In fact, I'll say it this, it's been like a highlight that we've needed for some years. In fact, it's been a blast to watch, and it's been a joy to watch. But, but I can't say that without acknowledging the other side at the same time. And so I have to acknowledge that I still know that there's some of you who are like that man who has been in that condition once again for 38 years. Maybe you've been spectating. Maybe you've been playing it safe. So you're just kind of scoping things out. Or maybe you've become complacent with where you're at in Jesus and you don't really see a need to grow. Or just maybe, just maybe you're too hesitant. Maybe you're fearful. Or maybe you've just been given all these excuses to your spouse, to your children, Right. And even to God and most of most of all, even to yourself of why you can't step in. And all I'm really saying is this is right off the top. OK, before we get going really in today's message is that there's no doubt. Once again, I'm going to keep repeating this on purpose that God is stirring the waters. And so why don't we all just in a unified effort as a church family just make the decision to step in? Right. Because there's more. And I will say this to you guys to encourage you, especially you guys that are maybe fearful um, I've, I've yet to meet a person, and me included, that has been willing to step in to deeper levels of God and have regretted it. Amen? I'm telling you what, there's no, there's no uh, level or amount of surrender that's not worth it. Amen? All right, let me say one more thing as we transition, okay? Just kind of stoke the fire a little bit. I, I truly believe if you're one of the people that's sitting in the room today and you've already made that decision to step in, meaning that you're hungry for God, that you want His presence, that you're wanting to go deeper into the kingdom, that you want to know Him more, you want to see His face, right? Then I want you to know that I really, really believe that today's message is for you. And the reason I say that, I say that with confidence. In fact, the Lord spoke to me a few days ago and said that this message is for the hungry and the complacent alike. And, and I'll just say this, that the reason I believe it's so important is I believe this message, the simple part we're going to talk about that so many people run away from in the church, it actually holds the key that will unlock the things that your heart's been desiring. Listen, there's not a person in this room that hasn't been on your face before in prayer, really going after God and realizing, man, there's things that you desire in Jesus that you can't get to unless he just gives it. And I'm trying to tell you, here's the key today. And I also want to say this, that if you are one of those that are hesitant for whatever reason, we're not judging a day. It's just reality of, of stages where people are at. But listen, if you've been hesitant to step in, I want you to know that today's message is for you as well. And the reason I say that is because whatever has caused you, whatever zapped your spiritual hunger, I believe today has the key to revive your spiritual hunger and your thirst. Meaning that the Holy Ghost will come and He'll begin to filter out the things that don't belong there. Filter out the things that have caused you to, I guess, to be satisfied with the things of this world and things of the flesh. And He'll filter those things out so you'll start getting hungry for God again. Yeah. Amen? So what's this message about? We're going to take a huge right turn here. Hang with me and don't go depressed mode on me as soon as I say it. So what's this message about? I want to talk to you today about fasting. About fasting. Man, it's a lost art in the church. A lost discipline in the church, right? So listen, if this is a new term for you, fasting simply means this in the original language. It means to cover one's mouth or to abstain from food for spiritual 
purposes. Don't get scared. <laughs> to cover one's mouth or to abstain from food for spiritual purposes. In other words, at its core, fasting is when you and I volunteer ourselves to replace our normal times of eating, right, with prayer, with worship, with listening to His voice, with reading the Bible, with meditating on the Word of God, or a combination of any of those things. Fasting can also take place like this. It's when we volunteer to lay aside certain things and certain activities that would normally distract and keep us from spending meaningful time with Him. What happens is instead of doing those things, we choose to sacrifice those things for a period of time so we can simply draw closer to God and to connect with Him in a deeper way. I don't know about you, but I want to connect with God in a deeper way. Amen? Amen. So, listen, I fully realize that some of us in this room, the concept, once again, of fasting may be new. It may even be foreign. And to some of us, we might even consider it to be scary or just plain weird. And I got a feeling that there's some of us that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. What we do is we really just avoid it. Right? But the truth is, is all throughout the Bible, we see fasting as they get this. Not as a taboo thing, but as a normal and as a regular part of the life of God's people. In other words, when we begin to read the Bible, we see guys like Moses, King David, Elijah, Esther, right? We see Daniel, Anna, Paul, and even Jesus, God in the flesh, committing themselves to private times of fasting. And then we see this other kind of fasting. It's like this. We see Ezra the scribe. We see King Jehoshaphat. We see the prophet Joel and many others calling people, God's people, to corporate times of fasting and prayer. If you don't get that other end on there, you're just in a hunger strike. So it's fasting and prayer. So listen, we find one example of this in Joel chapter 2. God spoke to Joel and told him to say this. He got up and he said, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate or announce, as other translations say. Consecrate or announce a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Guys, I don't think it's uh, some ordinary thing that God's been having us on this, uh, you know, preparation mode, that this consecration mode, and it's lining up right with the time of a fast. Because if there's a way to consecrate yourself, man, it begins there. Yeah. Amen. And so, listen, today is really all about that. It is about me and it's about our leadership team standing for you today, man. And we are calling a sacred assembly. Man, we are calling literally us to, to gather the people and to sanctify the congregation to a fast. And our hearts cry today as man, just plead with you to go, can you get in unity with us today? Amen? Amen. I got one that's with me. <laughs> so listen, the spirit of that verse in Joel, I just want to personally invite each one of you guys to partner with us in this year's fast. And, and as it does the last few years, it lasts 21 days. 21 days of a corporate time of prayer and fasting. And as you saw in the announcements earlier, it officially starts today and it ends with Easter. And we do that intentionally, right? And, and so I'll just say this. For the past four years, uh, we as a church have intentionally set aside this time of the year to pray and to believe God for His power literally to come and to bring breakthrough and to bring lasting change in our personal lives and our families and our church and our region and yes, even our nation. Because I believe that when we pray as a unified people, our prayers can affect this nation. Yes. Amen? Amen? So I have to tell you that 
that I realize a lot of people want to run from this moment, but man, for me, it's probably got to be my favorite thing that we do all year. And the reason is, is because uh, without a doubt, our times of prayer and fasting over the past few years have been the most impactful, have been the most life-changing, and have been the most fruitful times in this church. That I can literally tell you, it's almost like what we do, let's say whatever, for uh, almost 11 and a half months doesn't even compare to what God will do in 21 days. It's incredible. The only way I can word is this, is that when we set our faces to pray in unity and to believe in God, that God turns on the accelerator in a supernatural way. Yes. Amen? Amen? Now, I've experienced that as I tell you, that's yes for me personally, yes for our family, but yes for the church as well. It's been pretty amazing. So today, as I'm standing here talking to you, when I'm talking about us going in a 21-day fast, it's not something that's a burden to me. It's a thing that I consider a privilege, right? Because I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Am I making any sense to you? So I will end with this. I'm just simply asking, as your pastor, like the prophet Joel, would you please take this serious and, and answer the call to actually join us to literally commit to press into God for the next 21 days, and let's see what He'll do. Amen? Now, for clarity's sakes, am I asking you to uh, not eat for the next 21 days? You hope not. <laughs> Listen, what I am asking is this. Please hear what I'm about to say. I'm asking you to go before your Heavenly Father, and I'm asking you to say, you know what? Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you show me any area of my life that I should and I need to fast? That I could and I should. Right? And, and listen, for some of y'all, he may say, I'm not going to knock it down. If he tells you to fast 21 days, man, knock yourself out. Go for it. For some of us, it may be a partial food fast. There, there's that group of people. I'm not one of them that, that does the Daniel fast, and, and they just do fruits and vegetables. If that's you, go get it, right? Uh, for some of you guys, it may be intermediate fasting. What that means is there are people that choose to fast from 6 in the morning to 6 at night, and at 6 at night, they eat, okay? They eat a meal, basically one meal a day. There's those that fast media. There's those that fast video games or a hobby and, and listen or a combination of those things. In our home, we do a combination of pretty much most of those things, okay? Now, honestly, I got to be honest with you. What matters the most to us is, is simply this, is that each one of you, doesn't really matter your age because our kids participate in this too, is that you would actually partner with us in some form or fashion with your whole heart. Like, like whole heart. For 21 days. And, and I'm just going to leave this and then we'll, tra we'll transition. I'll leave you with this. Once again, unity of effort. But whatever it is, I just ask you that it would be something that would actually challenge you, stretch you, and would actually require a true sacrifice in your flesh. Right? I, like I've met people over the years who are like, I'm going to fast grape Kool-Aid. I've literally heard that. And I just think, what a sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even my favorite flavor, right? So, so, I mean, like, let's get into something. Let's be mature, and let's really go after Jesus and go, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice because he's worth it. Yeah. Amen? Amen? All right. So I feel like I need to actually address a, an unhealthy mindset before we really move on, and that's that it's an unhealthy mindset that I have seen hinder a lot of people over the years and has potential to hinder you and I today. And it's this, in my experience, when we as Christians start hearing talk like this, the word fast comes up, and the first thing we do is we get hungry, right? And, and then, you know, there's always those in the crowd who mutter to themselves, 
Well, I would do that, but I just don't feel led. <laughs> I'm about to talk to somebody, all right? Listen, I want you to know that might sound nice, and it might sound spiritual, but I say with this, with all loving kindness, it's hot garbage, <laughs> all right? And, and listen, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't direct and He doesn't guide us and doesn't speak to us in these areas, because He does. But, but I just want you to think about this for a second. Like, am I the only one in here that thinks it's a little odd how many church folk suddenly get so spirit-led? <laughs> right? It's like we try to get them spirit-led, right, 11 and a half months out of the year, and they ignore the Holy Ghost. They ignore his lead, they ignore his voice, and they only apply the word when it's comfortable. And then when you come, you start talking like this, oh, Jesus. <laughs> right? And they just want to get so spiritual-led, right? It's like literally like every time there's a few things this happens. It's like when, when, when we, a guy like me, stands up and says, hey, maybe you should volunteer. What about maybe giving? What about attending a prayer service? And lastly, fasting, once again, suddenly instantly we're now led by the Spirit, conveniently, right? And so it's kind of like, well, Pastor, I sure do appreciate the opportunity to, you know, for you to ask me to do those things, but you know, I just don't have a burning bush. I haven't seen the earthquake. I haven't seen that mighty wind roll through here yet, so I just don't really feel led. I'm, feeling, I'm just not feeling impressed, right? <laughs> I'm going to sound a little crusty and, and a little legalistic here, but that's all right. Um, my question is, is this, is did that spirit-led person consult the Holy Spirit and wait for that burning bush, wait for that great wind, wait for that earthquake when they planned their last vacation? Like, how about when they rolled on down to TJ Maxx and bought that new outfit? What about when they went to that outdoor store and bought that new shotgun? Come on, people, right? L -l Listen, what... Did, were they so spirit-led when they, when they said, you know what, let's load up the family, let's go down to that restaurant and let's eat? Like, where did they feel the need to be led by the Spirit then? I told you I was going to get crusty. <laughs> and all I'm saying is this, is, is, is simply this. It seems like a lot of us only consult the Holy Spirit when it's convenient for us to say no. That's all I'm saying, right? So listen, I'm not done. Uh, <laughs> This might be strong, but, but listen, if that's you, okay, let's shoot straight. You know if, you, if you've done that before. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to talk to you like a dad, and, and I'm going to call you into maturity real quick, okay? I, I just think this. I really plead with you, stop using the Holy Spirit as an excuse. You need more fear of God in you than that, okay? Because the truth is, is God would rather you actually say, listen, I'm sorry, I don't love those people enough to serve them. Y'all listen. Or, I don't want to give to those people because the truth is, is I'm greedy and stingy. Or, I don't care enough about those people to come pray for them because I'm too concerned with my own needs. Or, I like cheeseburgers and ice cream way too much to fast. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that God would rather you to actually walk in the truth and tell the truth than for you to lie and say that the Holy Spirit is saying something to you that He is not. So can we be grown? Yes? yes? 
So here's the reality that I've learned, okay? And I'm going to shoot straight with you. Is that a lot of times when, when things like this come up, the truth is, is we're not spirit-led. More often than not, we're food-led. Right? We're emotion-led. Right? We're addiction-led. And what I mean by that is addiction goes way beyond drugs and alcohol. That's part of it. But some of us are more addicted to our phone and Facebook and our computer or a video game than we are to any drug. Right? Or this is that we're literally, we're idol-led. We, we like our sports. We like our hunting, our fishing. We like whatever more than we really like Jesus. Let's get honest, right? We're led by our money. We're worry-led. We're fear-led. The approval of man-led. What would people think if I did this? We're doubt-led. Would God really do something? And we're pride-led. We're just stubborn, right? So we're, we tend to be led by all those things more than we tend to be led by the Holy Spirit. So let's quit using Him as an excuse. Amen? So listen, if by chance... By chance, you're sitting beside one of those people today. <clears throat> I say that because I know it couldn't be you. So it has to be the person next to you. If you're married, I'll let you work that out when you get home. <clears throat> but listen, by chance, seriously, if by chance you're that type of person and, and you uh, always need to feel led to do these things, um, then I just ask you to consider a few verses. I won't read them all. I'm just going to give you the first part of them, and, and we'll kind of move on. If you can participate in this with me, it'd be awesome. Let me show you what Jesus said. Three verses. Matthew 6, 2. He said this. He said, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, or when you give. Can somebody say, when you give? When Look at Matthew 6, 5. It says, and when you pray. Can you say, when you pray? And lastly, Matthew 6, 16, he said, Moreover, when you fast. Can we say, when you fast? So the main thing I want us to notice there is this, is that Jesus said, when we do these things, not if we do these things. In other words, he is telling us that, guess what, that all three of these areas should be an active expression of our faith. Let me put it another way. That Jesus literally expects just as much as for, that he expects us to be a generous giver, just as much as he expects us to be people of prayer, he also expects us to have a lifestyle of fasting. So the point that I'm making here is simply this, is once again, trying to remove that taboo, is that a fasting is absolutely normal and it should be commonly inspected, uh, practiced because God truthfully expects it from all of his people. Guess what? even when they don't feel led. Listen to this quote, and we'll, and we'll close the door and move on. Wesley Duell said this. He said, you and I have no more right to omit fasting because we feel no special emotional prompting than we have the right to omit prayer, Bible reading, or assembling with God's children for lack of some special emotional prompting. Fasting is just as biblical and normal as part of a spiritual walk of obedience with God as are these others. And so just put in context, guys, look at me. Um, like, let's shoot straight. Let's just use those things there. If I only gave when I felt like giving, I'm telling y'all, I'd be like Scrooge. Okay? If I only prayed... When I felt like praying, man, I would never pray. 
But there's a thing called obedience. Okay, and there's a thing called surrender that Jesus values and Jesus calls us to. He doesn't call us to an emotion. He calls us to a life of faith. Yes. Amen? Amen? All right, so let me encourage you something because here's what's so awesome about God. If you actually continue to read Matthew 6, go down to verse 17 and 18, you would find that, guess what, that God literally says, uh, even back up, that when you give, He rewards you. When you pray, He rewards you. Guess what? And when you fast, He will reward you. So how does God reward us actually when we fast? I'm saying this to encourage you, okay? Let me give you a few things here. We'll throw them up on the screen. That God actually promises us this. This is all in His Word. That guess what? That when we fast, He will strengthen our intimacy with Him. Like that fasting strengthens our intimacy with God. It also does this. It creates clarity in hearing His voice. Meaning that when you and I actually fast, what happens is so cool, is we finally block out all those thousand other voices that are trying to talk to us. And guess what? All that clutter is removed and we receive clarity and we can begin to hear from heaven in a pretty incredible way. Like I remember two years ago when we were fasting and praying, and I was in, you know, Jen and the kids were going, I was in the living room pacing and praying, and God began to speak to me about things. And then he kind of told me this, because I'm like, why are you telling me this now? And he's like, he literally said this, because I finally got you in a place you'll listen. Wow. Why? It's because I finally blocked out all the rest of the noise, right? So also there, what does it do? It cultivates a sensitivity to his presence, now, I don't know about you, but it's really important to me. I want to know when God walks in the room and when He walks out of the room. Because when He's done, I want to be done. And when He's there, I want to be there, right? And so the next one there is this, is that guess what? A benefit is that it allows us to see people and circumstances from God's perspective. Like I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation, not only just needing direction, but needing to, to get God's heart concerning a situation and most of the time because we're in ministry that situation tends to do with people and you walk in the prayer closet and be frustrated with people like wanting to give them the five-fold ministry <laughs> lay hands on them right ah! okay and, and go in there and start praying and, and literally God starts talking to you and he begins to tell you why people are the way they are and it's hard to look down that road and start putting your feet in their shoes and not have mercy and compassion on some people Amen? So he'll change your perspective, right? So the next thing he'll do is this, is he'll actually begin to remove doubt, and he'll begin to build faith. I wish we had time to sit on that one. The next thing is this, is he'll actually use his time, and he'll reward you by revealing sin and wrong motives. In other words, he purifies and humbles your hearts. Now you, you may sit there and go, how is that much of a reward? Jesus loves you. He wants to be with you. The Bible says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. He rewards you because He wants to purify you because He wants to hang out with you. Yeah. That's a pretty incredible reward. In fact, all the way back to Genesis, I love what, what God spoke to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. There is no better reward, guys, than to be with Him. Amen? Amen. So notice this, the next one there. He reveals the things that controls us. Now this is a funny one to me. Y'all please listen. Uh, we've been doing this a long time, okay? And, and we've been trying our best, sometimes better than others, to have a lifestyle of fasting and prayer in our lives for over 20 years, okay? Like when I first started ministry, I, it was funny being so young and just, and just, I would fast three days every time before I preach. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, wouldn't eat and I'd go preach. And there was some wrapped up and some work, some wrong mentality in that. But, but, it, but it also formulated some disciplines in me that I'm sure, sure I'm appreciative of today, Okay? So I'll say this, though, that it was funny, the things that would come out of me, and I would think, well, well you know, maybe it's just because I am 
hungry or I'm tired. Like I've heard a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I wouldn't have got so angry if I wouldn't have been fasting. I'm just hungry and I'm tired. And the reality is, is that, that guess what, that, that I'll just say it this way. That person's always been angry. Fasting just revealed who they really were to them. It's like everybody around them knows who they really are, but the light hadn't came on for them until that moment. And what happens is, is God will bring that stuff up to show you how even a single breakfast or a lunch or a dinner controls your life. Guess what? To say, you know what? That's standing between you and me. There's an impasse there. We need to get out of your way. Anger needs to get out of the way. You're selfish. Just get out of the way. Whatever it is. You get the point, right? So in the last one is this, we kind of talked about this at the beginning, is it actually renews our spiritual hunger. And the reason is, man, it's impossible to go without some meals and hang with Jesus and not get really hungry for him. Like, it's really awesome. You get the point, you're like, I don't care if I ever eat again. I just want to be with him. That's when you know your hunger is in the right spot. Amen? So let's throw up the next slide because this will kind of maybe be all-encompassing, and hopefully we're not boring you here is that ultimately fasting purifies our hearts and minds so that we can be positioned. We can be positioned to receive God's wisdom, knowledge, understanding, discernment, strength, and loving kindness. I just got to ask you today, is there anybody in this room that says, man, I don't need more of that in my life? Or I don't want any more of that in my life? Sign me up, Jesus. Right? And so notice the part there where it actually says this, that it positions us. See, so often where people get sideways with fasting is they think that if somehow if they go fast, that God's then got to respond. Like it forces God somehow to now move for you. And that is false. Right? And the reason it's false is because fasting doesn't move God. It moves you closer to God. And when you begin to get closer to God, something begins to happen. Those things begin to happen. But guess what? An anointing comes. Favor comes, blessing comes, and we begin to say, wow, I was fasting and God changed all this stuff. No, 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 maybe, but I'll say it this way. You changed, and because you changed, the world around you changed. Am I making sense? I want to share a story. I haven't had time to do this today, but I'll do it right now. So one of the coolest stories I've ever heard about fasting and praying, and I just want you to realize that... um, how God will kind of do what he wants to do. I'll just leave it at that, okay? I may be sharing it's a little premature. But, but I met this man one time. He's, he's been a minister, oh, man, probably 60 years now. And, I, and anyways, credible teacher. And, and he began to tell a story that when he was in his, I think his 20s, he decided he was going to fast and pray until God gave him a healing anointing and a healing and miracles ministry. Okay, And so he set his heart out and he fasted for 40 days. Cry out to God. If you know who the name Catherine Kuhlman is, that's the anointing. He was asked, God, will you give me anointing like Catherine Kuhlman has? And, and when he got to day 40, literally 40 days, God said nothing. On the 40th day, he's crying out, God, God, please give me this anointing. The Lord spoke to him, called him by name and said, I have not called you to be basically a person that operates in healing. I've called you to be a teacher. You have not been fasting for 40 days. You've been on a hunger strike. Get up and go do what I've called you to do. Ouch. Let me tell you another story to encourage you since that one wasn't too encouraging. There's another man we have uh, some, I've never met him, we have mutual acquaintances. 
and are mutual friends. But uh, this guy got cancer, and I'm not telling anybody to do this. I'm just trying to show you how cool this is. Is uh, you'd have to really hear from the Lord. This guy had cancer, and he only had a limited amount of days to live. And he told the Lord, he was a minister, he was a pastor. He said, Lord, um, I'm going to either fast and pray until you heal me or until I die. It does not matter to me. And so he, laying in a hospital bed, decided to start fasting and praying and believing God to heal his body. And I think it was on the 42nd or 42nd day, God did a complete miracle and healed him. And he preached, I don't know how many years afterwards. Let me give you one more. Is that okay? I met this man and, and, and uh, I got a few friends that worked with him in the ministry. Uh, I got to go fast on this one. There's a long story. The short gist of it, he landed him, he, he basically went to Mexico. He got saved, baptized the Holy Ghost, went to Mexico to do ministry. And when he was in Mexico, he was there learning the language. And uh, while he's there learning the language, he was just kind of playing soccer with some kids, just hanging out, just trying to learn the culture, living in a village. And a monsoon came through and it, uh, one of the small boys they played soccer with, I think he was 14 years old, got swept up in the river and, and anyways, he got lost. And so he's sitting in his house because obviously the, the, the house is getting hammered by the storm. And these uh, other boys that played soccer with him came and started knocking on the door, uh, you know, calling his name, brother, 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 so-and-so fell in the river. We, we got to go get him. And so he grabs his flippers and his goggles. And he's a, he's a big old boy. He's a really athletic fella, strong man. And, and so he runs out to the river, and there's hundreds of people by the river. And there's brothers that got, uh, they're natives, they're Nahuatl Indians. They got ropes tied to them, and they're jumping into the river trying to find this boy. And the river's all, you know, swelled up, you know, because it's been raining so much. And so he ties one of those ropes around him, he jumps in, and he himself gets caught up in a tree, right, that's underwater, submerged. And he goes, and he's trying to cut himself out. And while he's cutting himself out, he bumps the arm of this 14-year-old boy. That's stuck in the tree. He's drowned. And so he literally uh, went back up, called for the other guys. They went back down, cut the kid out, drug him up on the, on the shore. And he said in the middle of all that, there's about 400 people there. They were all screaming and hollering. And in the middle of all that chaos, he heard the Lord say, he's a young guy, heard the Lord say, if you pray for him, I'll raise him from the dead. And he said, what did I do? He said, fear hit me. And I stood up. And because of my disobedience, basically, I walked straight out of that crowd and I sent a 14-year-old boy to eternal damnation because I didn't obey. Okay, now watch this. He, as you can expect, guilt, shame loaded on him. Okay, and he sat in his house for a month, didn't go outside, didn't do a thing, just beat himself up, just self-pity. And finally, his wife, and I met her too, she's a little bitty gal, got up in his face and, and said, look, either you go do what God's called you to do or you take me home. And he said, yes, ma'am. So he went, he said, slowly put on his boots. He did that and he started slowly kind of going back out. The guilt and the shame kind of started lifting. But he made a commitment and all that. Y'all, please hear this. He made a commitment that they were going to, that he was going to fast every other day until either Jesus raised the dead or he died. Didn't matter. And when I met him, okay, and I have friends that were worked in the ministry that verify this. If you think this is garbage, that's your opinion. Okay, it's fine. I choose to believe the Bible. Okay, and at that time, when I met him, over 500 people had been risen from the dead. 
because a ministry wasn't all just him it was all the other brothers some of these were Indian guys some were Americans out there praying they had literally seen people dead not one day two days three days seen them come back to life I have personally hung out with some of those men that have risen the dead so listen when we say that there's power in prayer and fasting men there's power in prayer and fasting but, but listen, all of those guys had a common denominator that I think you and I need to grab a hold of. And it's centered in a one verse, and then I'm going to prove a point, and then we'll get out of here. The verse is this, and it's the attitude that I want all of us to have for the next 21 days. And hopefully, it'll become so much part of our nature, it'll go beyond 21 days. But it's Matthew 5, 6. It says, blessed are those who, what? Hunger. And thirst, not for the things of this world, but for righteousness, for they will be filled. I have a really simple thought in this. Listen, I have never been able to fill my stomach more when I'm already full. Right? Like I've never sat down and ate a massive meal and then got up and said, oh, I'm hungry. Right? No, 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 no. So, so listen, if you and I are actually going to be filled by God, then it looks like it requires us, yes, to be hungry, but it requires us to actually empty ourselves. Right? right? And I just think that that's what biblical fasting does. That it allows us to empty ourselves, our vessels, if you will, in the hands of the master who in turns does whatever he wants. He pours in whatever he wants in us. And so listen, so often you and I and as Christians, I think we all sit back and we tell God we want an increase, we want an increase, we want an increase. And we forget that if we're going to get an increase, biblically, we mean, that means we got to decrease. Right. Right. right? And I think there's just understand, man, it's impossible to have one without the other. They go hand in hand. So if we want increase, we got to decrease. And likewise, if you and I want to be filled, then we got to empty ourselves of things that aren't from God. Right. Amen? Y'all hang in there with me for a second. So with this thought in mind about, once again, that what did all those guys have in common we just talked about is they were all really, they learned how to empty themselves. That's it. They learned how to empty themselves and humble themselves with prayer and fasting so God can move. Now watch this with the, with the thought of being empty in mind. 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come and threatened to take away my two sons as slaves. And then Elisha responded, what can I do to help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? I want to pause there for a moment. Because, listen, in this portion of Scripture, obviously, it quickly goes to this scene. We see this tragic story of a woman who has lost her husband. He's died. Now, the cool part about this story is this isn't just some regular dude, but historians and theologians actually tell us that this is Obadiah, the guy that wrote the book of Obadiah, that he actually learned and he served under Elisha in the school of the prophets. So this guy was like a real deal with God, okay? But, but the problem was is even he was real deal with God, somehow along the way before he passed, guess what? He somehow accumulated amount of debt that now his widow could not repay and I just think this the, the Bible doesn't really tell us how long but but obviously at some point the creditor showed up at her doorstep right expecting to be paid and when she convinced him look dude I ain't got any money to pay you and what he says he threatened he said look if you can't pay me I'm gonna take your two sons so that, that makes this moment magnified that not only is she sitting here grieving the loss of her husband, but guess what? She's now staring down the barrel of the fact that guess what? Her two sons could be sold in slavery and she may not ever see them again. 
Now, obviously, these are the people, you know, two kids that she loves, but more than likely in their culture, that's the two kids that are going to take care of her. Right? And so the reality is, is this woman, I think you and I can agree, man, it's a God-sized problem. Right? That if Jesus doesn't come through, man, she's sunk. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have felt like I've been there before. Right? And so what happens is, is she runs and she goes, man, to, to her husband's friend and leader, Elisha the prophet, and she begins to ask him for help. Now, the cool part is, is I can kind of see in my head that, that, you know, he didn't automatically just, you know, wave a wand and some miracle happened. I think he was probably a typical dude and he had to work through a process to go, man, how can I fix your problem? Right. And I think he started giving her ideas about things that she could sell in her house. Like, you know, when I was hanging out with Obadiah, there was whatever, that muscle car, there was tools, there was, you know, you had some china, there was whatever, a washer, dryer, there was all these things, that lawnmower, you know, there's things that you could have money for. And I, I can just kind of see her telling, that sold, that sold, that sold, that sold. And guess what? I still don't have enough. Right? And I can kind of see him just kind of, I don't know, just taking a big old sigh and just letting it out, big old breath and letting out a sigh. And in the middle of that, he just says, look, you got to have something remaining in your house that you can sell. There's got to be something, anything. And I can see this woman with some, I don't know, it's just some sternness. Hell, I should look at me. I have sold everything that I can think of and it is not enough. And I can see her say, you know what? I don't know what else to do. We don't have a single thing of value left in our home except that little jar of oil. But who would ever want that? Now, if I can kind of give you a side note here. It's a, this is a good reminder that your little is enough in the hand of God. Yeah, yeah. Amen? But, but watch what happens because the, the thing we're looking at here is being empty and being filled. Pick it back up, verse 2. Elisha asked, tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many what? Empty jars. As you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. It's called the secret place. It says, pour olive oil from your flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Listen, I think we can all agree that's a pretty incredible miracle. But what does it have to do with us? Here's the simple point I want to encourage you with today. For the past 20 years, the prevailing thought that I've had when I've read the scripture every single time is simply this. Is that heaven didn't run out of oil, earth ran out of empty vessels. Heaven didn't run out of oil, Earth ran out of empty vessels, meaning that oil would have kept on pouring as long as they had a vessel. But somewhere along the lines, they felt like they had enough. Right? And I just think this, if you and I know it or not, in spite of what maybe we think or don't think, guess what? That God is still looking for empty vessels. Like, it, listen, it's past time that we keep celebrating those other people that got it. It's time for us to get it. Yeah. Right? And so, listen, I think that's where the problem really lies with y'all guys, okay? Or with y'all guys, with all of us. I didn't mean to say y'all guys. That's not even good English. Grammar, okay? Listen, the greatest hindrance for our spiritual lives, I think, is this. Is that God can't pour more of who He is into our lives because we're already full. In other words, we're full, y'all hear me, of our own strength. 
We're full of our own abilities, of our own wisdom, of our own insight, of our own giftedness, and of our own self-righteousness. Which means there's very little room for God to come along and actually fill us up with themselves. Like maybe you can get that much in us. But we're like that deep. And I just want to repeat to you, once again, heaven is not running out of oil, but we, earth, we're running out of empty vessels. Y'all hear me? And I'm going to say again, like I said a while ago, when we talked about Matthew 5, is that the more emptiness we can present to God, the more of His fullness we can receive. You know, I have heard people again, 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 especially when you lead schools of ministry, they always go, well, well, why did God use a guy like Wigglesworth, Lake? And they'll go on down the why, why, why? Because if you read their stories, they learned the art of emptying themselves. That's why God used them. Are y'all hearing me? So all I'm saying is this. Let me close with this. Is that God is clearly stirring the waters around here. Okay, is it to the level that I want? No, but I'm hopeful we're headed there. Okay, and so listen, that stirring will not get bigger if we ignore it. But if we start hopping in, it will grow. It will multiply. It will increase. And I just believe the key to actually hopping into what he's doing is learning how to empty ourselves. Because there's a place if we're just content with everything this world has to offer, why are we interested? But no, 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 no. Jesus, we're hungry. Jesus, we want to encounter with you. Because why? Because there's deeper places of reality and revelation and depths with him than what we've experienced. And I'm trying to tell you, man, let's just hop on board unity of effort the next 21 days however he wants us to do it personally and and let's just see what god will do amen can you close your eyes please father i simply ask for every person lord that you would begin to speak to us god and you begin to tell us what you want us to lay down and lay aside what you're willing what you want us to sacrifice for the next 21 days Lord, I just believe, God, that just collectively as a group, God, not just third service, but second service and first service, God, that collectively, and even those people that are a part of our church that have been watching online, God, God, that they would simply say, you know what, we're coming in agreement. It's a unity of effort. God, your word says in Psalms 133, where where their unity is among the brethren, that's where the oil, that's where you command the blessing forevermore and life forevermore. And so, Lord, we want that kind of life in this church, that abundant life, God, where your presence is moving. And so, Lord, we just simply say there's a yes in our heart. God, we don't need to feel some uh, wind. We don't need a sense of an earthquake. We don't need a burning bush. There's a yes in our heart to simply obey, to simply surrender. And God, we thank you, God, for for just uh, as we empty ourselves, God, that you're filling us up with more of you and you're helping us to really be spirit-led. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.